giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chap Pytel, and with me today is a couple of people from a company with actual robots. It's Neil Amrine, the founder and CEO, and Matt Erickson, the CTO of MyGoat. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. So tell me more about this idea that you are robot agnostic. Are you helping people choose the solution that's right for them? Or do you have go-to vendors? We do. So my philosophy, having spent a number of years in technology, selling hardware and even software solutions, is that uh, one thing that my experience has held, in, and that is hardware gets better, faster, and cheaper. And mm-hmm. for us to invest in a hardware platform or have customers invest in a hardware platform, I, I liken it to my early adoption of high-definition televisions, where in 2003, I was one of those guys that spent $2,400 on a 42-inch Sony Vega TV, and now you can get a 70-inch with a lot more technology and so forth for about $300 at Costco. So my feeling about hardware is it gets better, faster, cheaper. It's really the software that it makes the difference in terms of how you leverage it. So we engage about six to 12 different hardware manufacturers that make autonomous robots from robots that are 27 to 35 pounds up to 1200 pounds and all different variations in between and and then we extract the communication tools so that we can help our users who are formerly the groundskeepers become technology groundskeepers and they are now interfacing with the concept of autonomous robots that are mowing commercial properties 24 by 7, which we would actually call maintaining versus mowing. So uh, we use nighttime, you know, day, night, rain or shine. So that's why we're robot agnostic and welcome the latest and greatest designers and developers of hardware. We've got some folks that are just totally focused on designing and developing and building awesome autonomous robotic mowers with solar panels or, you know, just really great, great things that are going out there. And and we're the software platform that, that brings it all together. I totally get what you're saying about the progress of hardware and, you know, wanting to be in the business of creating value on top of that. How do you make sure that you don't take on the business risk of one of the manufacturers just providing the solution that you're providing? We don't look at, Chad, we don't look at a business risk if there's a manufacturer that's going and selling autonomous mm-hmm. robotic mowers. We welcome that, in fact, because that helps us um, with the adoption process. The idea of having, you know, Roomba is the de facto vacuum cleaner that goes randomly in your in your house, but there are half a dozen other hardware devices and opportunities, and and they're all selling it. It's really how are you managing that Roomba, which is also the subscription component of the Netflix part of our business, which is the Roomba may be a shark next year. It may be something else the following year. And for our customers, we select the best hardware for their particular uh, property, whether it's a golf mm-hmm. course. They may have a autonomous robot that's uh, manufactured by XYZ for the T-Box and another one for the fairway and another one for the greens. They just pay a monthly subscription for access to the software to manage those particular hardware pieces and optimize that hardware. And that's something that Matt will talk a little bit about, but we really have taken the approach that robots are 
just like cars, they'll sit in your garage, you know, 20 hours out of the week, but they're actually effectively useful 168 hours a week. So how do we maximize that and, and utilize the, the hardware itself? And that's what our software does. And of course, with that, we share that information with our customers and, and our users to continue to make it more efficient. Yeah. So Matt, thanks, Neil. Matt, what does the software stack actually look like that you're all putting together? Right. So we got to talk about the technology. So Laravel PHP, uh, MySQL, mm-hmm. we host in DigitalOcean, and we have a WordPress front end, but the back end is all Laravel PHP. So And so it's in the cloud for for all the customers? Yes. Yep. And then how yes. does you communicate with the with the fleet? Right. So we connect through uh, APIs. The hardware mm-hmm. uh, generally has an API that can give us status updates at various intervals. So we aggregate that information back and then we present a web-based uh, solution dashboard mm-hmm. that includes different views. You know, We can get into kind of the different users and, and how we try to meet their needs and drive workflow for them. But at a high level, we've got some graphical dashboards and we also have some very uh, tactical workflows for the guys. We call them shepherds, taking care of our goats on the ground. I know that you said it's autonomous, but how do you communicate with the robots when you need to? Is it radio frequency locally or is it cell phones? So the robots actually uh, come with, uh, they, they have both GPS and cellular connectivity. Mm-hmm. So we have, we have pretty good real-time connectivity with the robots. So we can remotely control them. We can park them. We can send them back to their charging stations. Different features like that. You can adjust cutting height, things like that remotely. We also use, you know, just based text messaging, right? SMS for uh, communicating with shepherds. Oh, really? As kind of re- yeah. re- as, as there's kind of real time feedback. So, yeah, let me let me dig in a little bit. The autonomous idea of the robot. Yeah, we want them to be autonomous. And when we work with our shepherds, groundskeepers. So that each of the goats works in a pen, an area kind of defined by that in the ground, kind of like invisible fence dog wire type thing. So, but basically we work with the shepherds and we, we have this training certification process, but basically they can uh, get that pen to an area where really about what we shoot for about 72 hours of the robot should be able to operate autonomously within that pen for about three and a half days. And then the shepherds will be instructed to move that robot to another pen for about three and a half days. Usually one robot is taken care of. Um, it ends up being about two and a half days. And that's kind of the, the way the software solution is driving that efficiency of people time as well as robot time, right? The robots can mow 24-7. They take care of the grass. They maintain it, as Neil mentioned earlier. So it's not throw the robot out once a week kind of thing. You know, you have mm-hmm. to change your thinking. A lot of what we deal with when we go to a robot solution over kind of that traditional status quo mowing, we really have to help people through that thought process of this is not how it used to be. It works differently. But yep, that's kind of the solution. I feel like I need to ask, even though it's going to be a little bit of a tangent, <laughs> how did you arrive at the name of my goat and take the leap on sort of a quirky name like that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. <laughs> first of all, I think that as I first saw one of these robots through a YouTube video about three and a half or four years ago, and and you may or may not know this, Chad, but there are about three million of these things that have been sold since 1995. So this is not bleeding edge technology in any way, shape or form. When I saw it on a YouTube video, it just kind of hit me that, um, wow, these things are out there doing their thing. 
day or night, rain or shine. And interestingly enough, the market, I guess the landscape market, the residential side was somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 to $80 billion that we were targeting and looking at. And as far as the goats, I had talked to some early folks who were marketing folks and we just kind of settled on goats and then we put my on the front end of it. And, uh, <laughs> and before we knew it, uh, we had my goat. And as we've evolved from just a cool robot uh, centric you know, organization that's using software, we've evolved into an organization that's really teaching shepherds how to become interactive with the goats. And it's taken a life of its own with the, the blades are called teeth. And those are some of our, you know, of course, the, the goats need to be brushed. They don't get washed or they don't get uh, sprayed down with water, but they get they get brushed. And just a whole, you know, the operating system is the heart and all kinds of stuff that's been going on. Well, I feel like with a name like my goat, if you're not going to commit and carry that branding through to everything, like what's the point? Right. <laughs> Yes, it has it has taken a life of its own, and, and it's interesting. I don't know that it's the most catchy name for a software technology company, but it's uh, certainly gotten some folks' attention, and it's helped. Let's put it this way: our, our marketing team really enjoys um, everything about what they can do with it. So, yeah, well, and there's something to having a, a brand and carrying that through in the naming that causes ideas to resonate with people and makes them special. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're mowing lawns. And so, you know, making it special and communicating that you have something special, I think is something that people can do for any of, you know, what, regardless of what their product is, thinking of ways of doing that. Yeah. And I, I would add that um, I, I think the only pushback we've received on the name is probably from some of our high-end golf course mm-hmm. users and prospects who don't want to turn their golf course into a, a goat track, so to speak. <laughs> but uh, but that's probably the extent of it. But overall, it's been well-received uh, without a doubt. And as we're focused on the software component of interacting with autonomous robots, you know, our software development mentality and our kind of our vision is that, you know, it may be the same thing applied to 500 Roombas inside of a million square feet at a fulfillment center Mm -hmm. for Under Armour, right? And instead of having 50 people cleaning the floors, you may have five people managing 500. And how do they do that effectively and efficiently? So there's really a a business-focused component of the vision that I've had for the business. And um, Matt's helped me along with many others to uh, get us to where we are. I was just going to jump in that, that you're right. The name sticks and people really adopt the, the shepherd mentality. We get a lot of requests for shepherd crooks, right? They, uh, <laughs> they all want a shepherd staff. Yep. Mm. So on, along those lines, like when people are considering working with you, what are some of the questions or concerns that they have about solution. Sure. So it's disruptive, Chad, right? That, that's, I mm-hmm. think I'd probably start by saying, you know, the traditional way of maintaining or mowing commercial properties is that you have a big guy and a big machine and how fast does it go? How much noise does it make? How many grass clippings get blown all over the place? You get in and you get out and then you start over. So in the state of Tennessee, where we are here, it's about 34 to 36 weeks of mowing a year. In Michigan, it's 17 to 22 weeks, depending on where you are. In South Florida, believe it or not, I know they're only 52 weeks, but they're mowing 56 to 58 times a year. So it's the frequency of going and mowing and blowing, right? Mm -hmm. 
we're changing that by saying, why be worried about the weather? Why would you be worried about darkness? Why would you be worried about noise regulations when you can have the grass maintained all the time? So that mentality of it maintaining essentially two football fields a week up to three football fields a week with less than 35 minutes of labor, there, there is nothing in comparison. There's nothing you can compare with the traditional, what we call the status quo, to make that happen. So the labor efficiency and improvement in labor productivity, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the cost savings and the financial payback. So because we are so disruptive, a lot of what we do and a lot of time we spend in one of our core values is being an educator. So back to your question about manufacturers selling their own proprietary hardware, absolutely. You know, the more the merrier. You know, we welcome to me that the sign of success and progress is not the small city block that has one gas station, but it has four gas stations on the corner. It just now means there are cars that are driving around. And so I, I embrace that level of competition. I believe iron sharpens iron and folks who are traditionally in the landscape space who have made trimmers and blowers and chainsaws, they are now finding a little bit of competition with folks who are now solely focused on making unbelievably efficient autonomous robotic mowers or cleaners or, you know, robots in general, which is, again, you're we're not crashing giant robots, um, although that's the name of your podcast here. We're not trying to crash them or break them, but it is uh, certainly the foundation for where we are. Hey, Neil, you've got a good uh, analogy. I think analogies help explain concepts. So you want to run through your airport analogy with the runways and the different airlines? Yeah, I could I could share that with you. Uh, thanks for reminding me. So, so my f- my philosophy about uh, we sell subscriptions that are based upon a geography, Chad, and that mm. geography is size of geography. Other. You mean? Yeah, the size of the geography. So mm-hmm. it's about a football field, give or take, right? Based upon some limitations with technology, we put invisible dog fences in the ground, and we charge our our users our subscribers by the particular pen or the number of pens and then there's a ratio so much like in an airport we're we're not selling flights we're selling runways and those runways are accessible by all kinds of you know you may have 30 terminals at the gate and you may have five different airlines and each of those airlines has a different brand and name but they're using multiple hardware components. Those jets are maybe McConnell Douglas, or maybe they're a Boeing or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. All of that is fine by, by us. What we do is we have the software that runs the gates, the terminals. So we're, you have Southwest in Terminal 2 and Delta in Terminal 32, and they're using our software to figure out how to get the baggage on the planes and get those planes off the ground so they can make money if, you know, for their businesses. So we look at it that way. And that's kind of where our IP rests is, is in that spot, in that place. And uh, again, there'll be other airlines, whether it's Allegiant or whomever buying more Boeing planes. And, but ultimately they'll all need a runway and the software that manages the process and the workflow is what uh, we're focused on. So, is the total cost of ownership of autonomous solution typically lower than what they are doing today? It is. Specifically, the labor improvement is generally about 3x in terms of improving the efficiency of the labor. So if you talk about a, an average groundskeeper who may be responsible for mowing, if it's a perfect day outside, 
mowing nine acres a day and they're out there five days a week. They may have efficiencies of maybe up to 40 or 45 acres a week. With our solution, that is increased to about 135 to 145 acres a week where they can maintain about 70 mowers, 70 autonomous robotic mowers or 70 goats, as we call them. They'll, they'll herd 70 goats with the same full-time employee. So that's one aspect. With that, you know, the immediate reaction is, well, you're eliminating jobs. We're actually redeploying jobs. I'm a, I'm a builder. I'm a job creator. I've had 4,800 folks work for me in my home care business over the last 12 years. And so I'm a big believer in improving and deploying folks in, in areas that we don't have robots. So for example, you know, there's no robot right now that's pruning trees or mm-hmm. raking a, a, a sand trap. You know, robots that are planting flowers or putting mulch in a, in a flower bed. So those kinds of jobs are still out there. We're just making the traditional idea of throwing somebody there on a mower in the middle of a cemetery or golf course or open space and having them manage that through our software platform, sitting in their F-150, pushing start and stop or pause and doing other things. Maybe Instead of riding on the mower. You got it. Yeah. A lot of uh, customers, potential customers, come to us, right, because we kind of touched on that, right? The labor, there's a labor shortage. It's hard mm-hmm. for folks to find people that want to ride zero turns. So, you know, to Neil's point, we're not about taking or deploying robots kind of one for one, replacing jobs. It's basically we're taking the labor force that, that we can get, that we have, and, and we're retraining them to be more efficient through the use of robots, right? pretty uh, age-old story when you talk about industrialization but the idea is it's it's not we're not we haven't really we haven't displaced you know workers mm-hmm. they're not hiring fewer people they're taking everybody they can get and they're doing all of that value add right the, the groundskeepers now have time to go out and do the, the mulching and the landscaping uh, trimming right improving the property a lot of these groundskeepers have a lot of pride in their property and they would rather be doing the items that, that, that to them are, are value add beautification projects rather than just, you know, riding the back 40 on a zero turn. And it's actually, we had one shepherd say, hey, it's, it's really helped his back. <laughs> riding that yeah. lawnmower is kind of, kind, kind of rough. And, uh, you know, walking around every now and then helping out a robot is a whole lot easier of a, you know, physical uh, life for you. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's AgencyU. AgencyU is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the agency you members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. So I saw on the website, because of the kind of solution and the scale that it's at, it seems like you have a few different key customer bases. 
you want to talk about that and and whether you knew that going in or or did you find them along the way? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, we came out of the gate initially with early investors. We were focused on what we consider was the low-hanging fruit in the residential space. So we had designed and developed the operational and financial template to actually have shepherds who were employees of my goat. And we would have the goats, you know, sold in a subscription model to residential customers, and then we'd have the goats stay on a property and then get moved, et cetera. But we learned very quickly that business to consumer and residential customers, uh, it it's not that it's impossible. It just was not as low-hanging fruit as we had thought initially because folks leave rakes in the yard. And anytime a goat uh, comes up on a rake, it's going to get trapped and therefore it needs to be rescued. And you have to send a shepherd out, et cetera. Or somebody decides to put a new vegetable garden and they break the wire that's in the ground. Or you know, there are just a bunch of, or there's a dog chasing the, the, the robot or a little kid mm-hmm. out there. Or somebody stops it. So those that required a lot of, it didn't make the robot autonomous. So we pivoted in uh, late two. 2019, early 2020 into the commercial space. We expired all of our uh, subscriptions to residential customers and went completely into the commercial space. And we had had some success with some golf courses and some cemeteries, and we've gained a lot more momentum uh, now with cities and counties, regional airports, but large open areas that are a minimum of five acres. Typically, you know, we would run a a pilot or a preview with at least 12 to 14 acres. And, and, but uh, the biggest restriction, of course, when you get into those large open areas is electricity because they've been traditionally maintained or mowed by gas powered machines. So back to your other question about where the savings is and the payback period and how we have an immediate impact. There's an operational savings that is pretty quick in terms of the return because we flatten out a lot of the ups and downs that uh, a traditional landscaper has. So let's take a golf course, for example, the average golf course sends about $80,000 a year per hole per year. And about 45 to depending on the the cores 45 to 60% of that is spent on mowing our mowing machines and people involved and we're able to take that and they're hiring temporary people in March here in the south and they have them here until October you know so they're they're having to go through that cycle every single year so if we can flatten that operational expense out by redesigning the golf course and having, and maybe it's not a hundred percent, much like a Roomba, you you still have to get the corners and the edges, maybe with a broom, if it doesn't get Mm -hmm. into every nook and cranny, right? So it's not a hundred percent solution. It's not for every application. But um, as we moved into the commercial space, we found a greater payback period, not only on the cost of the gasoline is, you know, take a zero turn mower. And again, I say that that's probably our greatest competitor is institutionalized thinking to say this year we're going to buy a big green big red or big orange machine for 16 or 18 thousand dollars kaboto toro or john deere and we're going to do the same thing we did last year we're going to find a guy who can operate it we're going to put gas in it and we're going to run it run it around well you put hours in those things and they're very costly to maintain if you hit a uh, roots. You've got to make sure that you know you can't run an 1,800-pound mower when it's been raining for three days. So what do you do with a fairway when it's you know uh, soggy or or any other commercial area that that could be um, or a hill that could be dangerous? But so we've we've seen found a lot of application, and then of course the environmental part of it, Chad. Right. So the average zero turn emits the equivalent of carbon. You know, from for carbon put for footprint every um, hour it's running is about 300 miles of an of a Toyota camera running, right? So you're they they haven't become more 
efficient. And then you've got noise regulations and, and so forth in a lot of communities. And even in California, they're moving in the direction of, I think it's 2024, where gas-powered and oil-powered landscaping blowers and trimmers, et cetera, are not going to be allowed or you'll be fined for using them. So uh, that's kind of the third component of where MyGoat has seen some opportunities in the commercial space. You mentioned that they can run at night, so they must be quiet. They must be. Yes. Yeah. They are. They are. And it's not the traditional, you know, you're not making as much of a mess. You know, some of our cemetery customers have mentioned, you know, that the fact that their trimming has been reduced by up to 50% because they're going up and over markers because they only weigh 27 pounds. They're mostly plastic and rubber. They're not doing any damage to vases. So they're they're having a cost reduction you know, in that regard, but also with the uprights, when folks uh, have their family members in a uh, particular private estate area where they may have an upright, and uh, if you have a, a zero-turn mower out there throwing and splashing grass clippings, you're likely having to go out there again with more labor and take a blower and and clean up the mess that the mower mm. you know made. So these little small operational components, along with the experience, you know, you've got a, again back to the cemetery. You were asking about why we're we're there. You know, we we know that industry very well, and we know that the experience that loved ones want to have when they're out there celebrating life and grieving across a forty or fifty acre property. You know, they don't want to hear a zero turn. So you know, you're you're turning those things off three or four times a day for those services and you're having that individual parked a quarter mile away. No longer is that an, an operational challenge or a concern because um, all of these robots are being controlled, start, stopped, and programmed through our software. That's really cool. So you mentioned investors and, and the early pivot away from residential to commercial what does your funding story look like and what did you what what phase did you get to when you took on investment and let's start there how did you find your initial investors and what phase were you at when you did did that yeah that's a great question so we went through a, a traditional friends and family and moved into kind of an angel round but uh, really i was not you know i started my first company bootstrapped it. And so I wasn't really proficient in raising money, tradi- you know, the traditional sense. I was, I had had an idea, I put a business plan together and I talked to a couple of folks and just told the story, to be honest with you, Chad. I wasn't really asking for money. I was more or less asking for advice. And and then a number of folks said, well, I, I'd like to, are you taking money? I'd like to take an equity position. And so we structured the business and the shares on a pre-revenue valuation. And then within 14 months, we were able to double that valuation. And we're now opening a, a new round here in a Series A with a valuation that's nearly 10 times, five times our initial valuation, rather. So we're making a lot of progress because we have, again, it's an annual recurring revenue stream. It's a subscription model. And what we've done with our investors are, are in the early rounds is you know, many of them came on and they just wanted to be silent. They, they were not interested in you know having an opinion. They wanted me and, and my team to run it. So that's been very helpful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's where we are in 2022. We'll be opening and closing a series A and um, I certainly can get more specific with others about that if your listeners or audience were interested. Yeah. So when you think about a series A, what will you be using that for? What are your next scaling goals? 
Yeah, my uh, my commitment to my investors in in the previous two rounds has been to sales and technology, right? So sales, uh, business development, and technology enhancement to the software. So hiring more developers, scaling that team. Matt's leading the vision, and we've got a number of other folks who are involved in the user experience. But again, because we're a software company, it starts with the demonstration. It's usually fifteen or twenty minutes that can be scheduled through our website at mygoat.co and, and it goes from there on the sales side and business development is is, is telling the story right in those verticals we're interested in building out uh, potentially even reseller markets with other industries that are aligned with us. We've had some very high-level conversations with uh, folks that to sell electricity for a living, right? The Tennessee Valley Authority, we became an early preferred partner with, with them and um, because they, they have carbon credit that they can offer and sell to their customers, their local power companies, and they're in the business of selling power and we're in the business of providing subscriptions that require power. What are some barriers to continuing to scale? Do you have geographic barriers? I have self-imposed geographic barriers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a Neil Amrine barrier. But overall, you know, our barriers, our challenges really are, I've never heard of these things before. You know, mm-hmm. do they actually mow, you know? So we get through those conversations fairly quickly, but depending on who we're talking to, it also becomes a fear, right? I mean, they, people fear change, and especially if things are disruptive. So, you know, our barriers, once we get through the fear is, well, it's we don't have any electricity here on this golf course or this city park or this you know, regional airport that they're unlimited electricity. So we can pull whatever electricity is necessary there. So it is really the barriers of, of education, just like anything that's uh, truly disruptive in an industry that's been doing the same thing for 45 or 50 years. So you already talked about how you view potential competition from manufacturers, but how do you view competition in general? Is there other competition out there? The biggest competition we have is institutionalized thinking, which is doing Mm -hmm. the same thing we did last year, right? So that's a battle that we have every day. You know, I I like competition because I think it it makes the end product and, you know, the customer is the one who benefits the most from having lots of people in the market, no matter what their angle is. We like our position because, again, we're not the hardware manufacturer. We're able to work with others. You know, we're the financial advisor that gets to, to work with the insurance guy and, and uh, and everybody else, where where all your money is, with your you know, college buddy who's managing it, et cetera, we're we are agnostic, right? We're we're putting it all together, so it benefits everybody. And those who make make and manufacture these robots get to benefit as well because it's part of the subscription process, as far as, as that's concerned. But the more the merrier. I, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, "Well, I saw an autonomous robotic mower out on you know this lawn or in the neighborhood here," or, and that's good for us. Mm-hmm. Matt, I assume that being robot agnostic means that you need to integrate with the different systems. Does that have challenges? Uh, you know, not uh, not really. The robots are, as far as uh, autonomous robotic lawnmowers, they're pretty much telling us the same things, right? There's status oh. updates, there's battery updates, there's GPS coordinates. Uh, it does tend to be a pretty common data set that we're seeing. So it's been a lot easier than, than I thought. Yeah, when you think about data integrations are always the, the top challenge you have. Yeah, it's worked out a lot better than we had thought initially, but yeah. 
Well, that's great that that. Yeah. So, what has there been anything surprising the other way, which was something you thought was going to be easy, turned out to be a lot harder? Um, yeah, we've had a we've had a manufacturer that actually had kind of a tiered concept in their data availability. Uh, they weren't giving us all of the data uh, that mm. they had. They they were kind of saving it because they were running their own kind of uh, hey, you can use home automation techniques to integrate with your residential autonomous robotic lawnmower, right? Um, you know, hey, if it's raining at your house, we can park your robot. So they were kind of hiding some of the API from us. We were able to work through that, but I think that was, that goes to one of your questions about, you know, the concern of around competition from the manufacturers. They're really not looking at this from the, you know, that, that niche that we're hitting, that commercial mm -hmm. perspective, you know, ma maintaining one Roomba in your house is, is kind of the analogy I use. You kind of know where he gets stuck and you go find him and that's okay. You don't need a lot of software for that. But, right. you know, that, that analogy, you know, Neil mentioned, if you have, a, you know, 500 of these guys running around a warehouse or, or you know, for us, we have property with 50 robots on it, right? How, how do you know which and one? And the right space uh, uh, that that takes up, you know, you, you right. can't see them right. all necessarily even. <laughs> exactly. You can't. Yeah. You can't just walk around and see everyone. Uh, and, mm -hmm. see, and visually check. You need that software to be efficient, right? To know, oh, let me. Oh, there's three three things I need to do today with the robots. Let me plan that out and let me take care of it. So, yeah, I think the like like Neil said, the manufacturers out there, they're they're making lawn equipment. They're making lots of different hardware, and to them, fleet management is really where is my hardware right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the extent of it. Mm -hmm. And so they're not, and, and, they, and they can't, right? They can't think about a, a property that needs maybe two or three different manufacturers of hardware, right? Because properties are not one homogeneous set of type of grass, right? There's always different needs, different features on the on that property. So, you know, there, there's always that idea that we're going to need a couple different manufacturers maybe. So, uh, yeah, it's really uh, it's really interesting for, for me. I think it's we're really hitting, you know, I think it's we're hitting a home run in an area that there really aren't any other competitors exactly in our niche. And, you know, if there are, I think the, the industry for us, what we do is at a place where we need more adoption out there in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, do you ever so hear from early adopters, people who say, I, I, you know, they've either already bought autonomous mowers and they're struggling to manage them or they yeah. really want to and they're coming to you to do it it's a, a great point i got a couple of thoughts here because you guys are going in a lot of different directions here uh, chad so, <laughs> yeah the, the short answer is when people buy anything early on they're going to have the proverbial challenges of who supports it when it breaks uh mm -hmm. who do i call what happens next you know it's it, it just it, it just goes on and on and on, whether it's a hardware platform, and that's mostly the case, or it's something else. It's what is this, you know, what does that uh, support look like? So the early adopters, when we talk about their experiences, and this is one of the things I would say is probably our biggest challenge is that we have created a learning management software platform, a, a video library of how do you work with robots? What We know that they're going to get trapped. There, There is no doubt that a 27-pound 
autonomous goat, if there is a lightning strike like there was here in Nashville last night, there are going to be tree limbs that are down and there'll be goats that are trapped. And it's going to take a human being, a shepherd, to be notified via SMS alert to proactively go to that spot on that property across 50 or 100 acres and rescue that goat. And it's just a matter of, you know, these kinds of things happen environmentally. So we talk about, when we talk to customers about their utilization of the goat, and we talk about optimizing their property. It's not really that the goat doesn't graze or the robot doesn't work. It's what are the restrictions and the environmental challenges that are in front of it, right? If there are erosion issues around a a marker or in a large open field, and if it's a really well-groomed, practice field or intramural field, you know, it's likely going to be aerated. It's going to be very flat, et cetera. But most commercial properties are not that way. So the goats actually have a tendency to go out and they'll, they're going to find all those environmental challenges. And it requires a human being to go out there and fix them. Because if the environmental challenge challenges, you know, that there's a, a hole in a, on a horse farm and it's, it's going to be there until somebody throws some dirt in it. You know, it's just, it's just a reality. And that goat is going to find that environmental challenge every single time. So there is a learning curve that goes with it. There's a level of patience. And uh, I think, you know, you mentioned what's our challenge. Our challenge is letting folks know that it's an evolution, not a revolution, as far as what your property is going to look like. I spent a a number of years with the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company and we talk about property health as uh, is there is it a two star property, a three star property, four star property, five star property. We recognize that a lot of commercial properties are going to just be a two star, but potentially they could be a three star property. Or if it's a cemetery and you've got a goat that's maybe found environmental challenges on a cemetery, it also becomes a liability or risk for family members who go visit their loved ones. So now we're using the robot proactively to improve the status of the property as opposed to saying, well, it just gets trapped every time it finds a hole or every time there's a situation that goes on. So it does require an active level of engagement and maintenance. And the philosophy has to be changed so that, you know, groundskeepers are now checking their phone or being alerted at 7.15 in the morning and they may go rescue Billy the goat. And because a lot of folks name their robots. (laughs) Right. They're 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 going out there and they're in pen three, four, 27, 31. And then at lunchtime, they may have another two or three of the same goats that were trapped, need to be rescued. And then again at four o'clock in the afternoon. So it's a maintenance mentality as opposed to a mow and go mentality. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that is philosophically a, a big change in terms of their mindset. So what's next for my goat then? You mentioned the Series A. Is there anything in particular on your radar that that you're either worried about or or looking forward to? Looking forward to more folks uh, like your audience and listeners hearing, you know, our story. I I'm in the business of of telling our story and I welcome again the the competition because that means there's a validation for what's going on. I I don't think we're going to stuff this genie back in the bottle, so mm-hmm. to speak. With it's going to be hard for me to believe that five six years from now, uh, folks are going to be out there firing up a push mower that they just bought at Lowe's when they can buy something at Lowe's that's you know two hundred fifty dollars for a a residential you know robot mm-hmm. that they can use. Um, same thing on the commercial space. I, I don't know what it you know, ultimately it looks like from a vision perspective, but I think our, our challenges continue, continuing the, the messaging, the adoption and enhancing the payback period. It is really just like any 
good technology, artificial intelligence, robotics, et cetera. I mean, that combination, uh, you know, I hold the, the, the position, Chad, that I don't, I don't really think any technology is being developed or new per se, since really, I mean, the invention of the internet, right? It's the application of the technology. It's what are people doing that are, that they weren't doing before that we have the communication tools with 5G or, or what have you that we didn't have five or six years ago that we can now ping our goats every 15 minutes and find out what their status is. And then we can report that back to the user and say, hey, your optimization or utilization on your hardware and your subscription is X, Y, and Z. And your return on investment is, you know, six months to 16 months. That's where I think it elevates the the conversation of of efficiency and um, kind of changes the game. So, you know, our next steps are continuing to get the message out, embrace not only users, but industries we haven't thought about. I mentioned horse farms that just kind of came on my radar screen, you know, not too long ago. We've had some success with cities and and counties. Uh, you can imagine you know, everything. One of our core values is green is good and time is a number. So, you know, you just drive down the interstate, you can see so much green everywhere mm-hmm. as far as opportunities ahead. And there's plenty of room for lots of people to play in the, in the space. We just, we welcome more and more of probably the designers and developers that you've got on this podcast to uh, come up with the, the latest and greatest hardware and make those APIs available for Matt and his team to integrate and continue to grow. That's great. If folks want to reach out to you to either learn more or to see if you could work together, where are the best places for them to do that? Sure. Let me uh, first direct them to www.mygoat.co. And there are a series of areas there where it's either click on a demo now or information our phone number is listed there as well. Um, also give you my my email address, which is neil, N-E-I-L, at mygoat.co. So neil, N-E-I-L, at mygoat.co. And uh, Matt's is just M-A-T-T at mygoat.co as well. And those are probably the, the fastest way to connect with us. And if they put in the quick subject head in line, your name and, and your podcast, that'll that'll bubble everybody to the to the top a little faster. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. And I wish you all the best. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.